As you know, beloved listeners, I have had a, a lifelong fascination with ancient Egypt. So I've spent an inordinate amount of time wandering around through uh, the various pyramids. I've done detours to ancient Rome, to ancient Greece, and across the other side of the world, I've also checked out the ancient worlds of the Aztecs and the Incans. But oddly enough, one of the most fascinating places I ever visited, and it was quite by accident, was a modern ruin. I'd been in the enchanting world heritage city of Dubrovnik and uh, took a rented car and just about wrecked it driving up, up these steep goat paths high into the hills that surround Dubrovnik. And there, to my astonishment, I came across an abandoned town. It, was, it had obviously been very posh and very beautiful. There were lovely stone staircases that went up and up to nothing. And I never found out what had happened to it, but clearly it was a victim of war. Now, there are many such places. They might be, well, formerly thriving mining towns, abandoned once the resources have been dug up, or perhaps the locations are places that represent a religion or ideology that is also be abandoned. And of course, there are places that have become unlivable because of natural or unnatural disasters. Now, all such places have a fascination, not only for taking us back in time, but also for giving us a glimpse into the future. Now, to act as our tour guide to just some of the ghost towns of the globe, I'm pleased to welcome travel writer Oliver Smith. Oliver regularly writes for The Beeb, Sunday Times, Lonely Planet, but he made time to write the book that I'm holding up to the microphone so you can all see it, Atlas of Abandoned Places, A Journey Through the World's Forgotten Wonders, and is published by Hachette. Welcome to our little wireless program, Oliver. I know why I'm seduced by ghost towns. What draws you to them? Uh, well, I think I think some of my motivations are, are, are a little bit like some of the ones that you've touched on already i i think it's it's partly an interest in history that you know these places often give you a sort of more raw flavor of the past than more typical places where we where we'd go to understand history like museums or or exhibitions or or anywhere where the past might be behind a, a pane of glass or indeed behind a, a kind of cordoned off area. Uh, there's, there's a sort of sense of immersion in many ways when, when you sort of step into a place uh, that is abandoned, that, that's very exhilarating and, and is probably, like you said, a form, a form of time travel back to the distant day whenever it was that, that people departed. I hadn't realised there's actually a term for people like us who choose mm. to trespass into these places. Tell me mm. about urbexes. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I have to, I would start with a caveat that I'm, I wouldn't identify as, as an urbexer myself, but it is certainly a, a community and a thriving uh, community. And I think it's, it's, it's partly 
blossomed as a result of of the internet and and, and particularly internet message boards. Uh, essentially, urbexes are people that that sneak into abandoned uh, places uh, and they take pictures of themselves. And, and there's a sort of my sense is there's an element of competition to it because in some ways it's about bragging rights. How, how did you sneak in? You know, did you shimmy up this ladder? Did you wait for that security guard to look the other way? Did you, um, you know, did you sort of keep a vigil for people who might check you out? And, and these, these people sort of have, they anonymize themselves. They have sort of nom de guerre usernames and, and they, and they blur out their faces and their pictures. Um, but there's a, there's a sort of questing element to it. Uh, not, to say that I'm, I'm sure these people find the past very fascinating and are very much there for the stories as well but it is almost a, a bit of a sport the the urbex community i think that's my impression of it anyway oliver i have to ask you a personal question have you climbed into places that perhaps you shouldn't have um if i had done i think the question you'd have to ask yourself is, is would i tell you <laughs> but, the, um, but i understand I there are places you have been that you yes, can't there, or there won't are... talk about it, there, there are absolutely yeah i mean the places that i've put into this book uh it's a it's a very sort of broad church of places there are some places where you know you can buy a ticket and and, and you can poke about somewhere you could there are places where you know it's it's kind of officially off limits but de facto anybody can wander around and then there are places where if you were trying to gain access, uh, then you would find yourself the wrong side of the law, and you know, quite possibly, you'd find yourself with a with a strong arm on your shoulder. Are there places that you would not visit? I, on my non bucket list, is Chernobyl. Although I've got friends who have had brief encounters there and found it absolutely mm. fascinating. Absolutely, there are absolutely places that that, that I, I wouldn't visit, uh, wouldn't visit. I mean, there's places that I'd, I'd say I'm not brave enough for, to visit. There are some places where urbexes have sort of, you know, um, gone through these sort of Mission Impossible style heists to gain access. Uh, that might be something I'm not particularly comfortable with. Uh, and there are places where maybe you know you, your presence would be intrusive um i mean another thing uh, the term abandoned it's a very much a shape-shifting term and and often in in, in some of the places in my book there are places that there, there are places where people are are resident perhaps you know homeless people who haven't got anywhere else to go um and and i think you'd have to ask yourself whether whether you'd be intruding on on their space uh, if you were to, to to kind of to go uh, and, and and poke about for your own gratification it's always seemed to me that one of our fascinations with the, well, lost or abandoned places is that uh, we face our own mortality. Mm, I think that's, that's, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think often when we, when we go to these places, like you said, we're, we're ostensibly looking at the past, but we're also imagining a future. And we're imagining a future without people in it. I mean, that might be on a very small microcosmic element. We might think, you know, what what would be left of us if when we leave the world? What 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 would be the the relics that would kind of attest to our our passing through? And then on a on a kind of more macro level, what would the world look like without people in it? And, you know, when we're in this this moment in history now where we've got climate change, we've got war in Europe, we've got a great many potential avenues for, for a kind of catastrophe, these questions are 
at the front of our minds. And I think that's a, that's a key motivator for people who want to see these places. Now, I mentioned the, the lost city or the lost town I found above Dubrovnik. But, of course, war has left so many wrecks and ruins behind mm. from World War II ships and planes scattered mm. across the Pacific to, uh, well, so many of them. But one fascinating legacy I knew nothing about were the bunkers of Albania. Mm. Tell me mm. about them. Uh, I think this this has to be one of my favourite um, abandoned places. Although it's not technically a single abandoned place, it's it's, it's many many places. So um, the bunkers of Albania, uh, for the most part, they sort of resemble what we in what we in the UK would call a, a pillbox, a sort of little um, concrete dome uh, that would be a firing position uh, to defend a piece of land. And we've got. We've got a good number of them in the UK, from dating from World War Two, uh, and they're extremely stocky little things um, that, that that haven't often haven't been removed because it would be just too much of a, a pain to get rid of them. They're they're, they're extremely strong, um, but in Albania, uh, the entire country and it is a beautiful country. The entire country is it's no exaggeration to say swathed in pillboxes to the extent that nobody really knows quite how many there are. I think the lowest estimate I saw was about 175,000, uh, and the highest number was 700,000 pillboxes. Um, now, these were built in the sort of mid, mid to late 20th century, from the 60s to the 80s, as a consequence of Albania's political situation it was it was a communist country but it was sort of cut off from the eastern bloc and cut off from its neighbor yugoslavia for for a while it was a, a little ally of china in europe but the dictator of albania a man by the name of enver hodja he he was quite eccentric and he was quite cruel and he was quite paranoid uh, and he decided the way to resist invasion from from any any one of albania's neighbors was to build this extraordinary network of bunkers across the country to make essentially Albania indigestible to an invading force. Now, these were of probably limited strategic value because allegedly there were more bunkers. Well, I heard jokes that there were more bunkers than soldiers to man them or indeed rifles to fire with them. But, you know, the obviously communism ended in Albania in the 1990s. And these things have stuck around ever since. They've, they're, they're across the same... I mean, the way you you know walk around the landscape and you'd see trees, houses, roads and cars, you see bunkers in Albania. And the, and, and the extraordinary thing is that they're now used for chicken coops, mushroom farms, uh, mm. street art, even pizza ovens. Yes, yes. I mean, most of them are abandoned, but, I mean, they're a very interesting lesson in the different pathways these abandoned places can take uh, once they've fallen out of use. I mean, like you said, yeah, um, Airbnbs is another one, beehives. I saw one it was, a, was a beach bar. Uh, a lot of them uh, are kind of a canvas for, for graffiti and have these kind of interesting motifs on them. Um, uh, pizza ovens, I don't know if we said that one, but, yeah, my, my favourite, uh, uh, a, a line I read in a book um, by, by Lonely Planet, uh, Lonely Planet founder Tony Wheeler goes that Albanian virginity has lost 
in a Hodger bunker as often as American virginity was lost in the back seats of cars. Now, I have to say, I don't know where Tony got his information uh, from there. He's, he's a lot closer to you guys than he is to me, so, uh, so perhaps you could ask him. He's been on the programme. I'll give him a call and ask him. I'm holding mm. up to the microphone the book under review, Atlas of Abandoned Places, and I'm talking to the author, Oliver Smith. One of the most tragic legacies of the war you document would have to be the uh, the Turkish village of Kayakoy, or mm. I think Levisi, as known by the Greeks. Tell us about this ghost town. Um, this was a place that I I wanted um, to put in my book, just because it kind of ambushed me in a way. Um, I was on I was on holiday in Turkey uh, with with my wife in in a, in a supremely beautiful part of the country, just absolutely pristine beaches, green mountains, wonderful food, marvelous uh, marvelous people, and uh, and just as a sort of day trip, we 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 took a road up. Um, from from where we were staying and, and stumbled into this place, Kayakoy, which is uh, one of the uh, Greek-speaking villages that used to be along the coast of, of, of Asia Minor or Anatolia, or Turkey as it is now. And it, it's sort of abandoned as a consequence of political upheaval. There were a great number of people who lived there were sent on death marches in the aftermath of the of the First World War, and then there, there was a population exchange in, in which ethnic Greeks in Turkey went to Greece, and ethnic Turks in Greece were were, were sent to to Turkey, um, and and this place uh, strangely was was wasn't settled again, uh, and walking around there is one of, it's one of the most sort of affecting abandoned places I've been because you can almost sort of see the. The mirror image of this place as, as you wander around uh, the Turkish countryside, you see thriving villages with, with 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 beautiful sort of whitewashed villas, with cobbled alleyways and you know bakeries and and and, and it's a place that's full of life and full of energy. And then you go to this place, and it's it's a case that the, you know the houses are missing ceilings, there are hearths that, that haven't seen a fire for decades and just have weeds growing in them. And, I think that's a rather it, it beautiful something. Rather beautiful, you just said then, hearths that haven't seen a fire and nor have plans to redevelop the area come to anything. Mm, I mean, I think with a lot of abandoned places sort of fall into a political fault line um, and obviously uh, the, the relations between Greece and Turkey, even now, uh, sort of a, a decade after, after these events that we're talking about, uh, they're, still not, they're still not as good as they could be. Um, and so this this village has a sort of slightly am, ambiguous position in, in in the modern country. And I, I, last time I checked, there's 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 been talk of people wanting to redevelop uh, this town and and sort of show it as a an expression of, of, of peace and solidarity between people. But but yes, when I was that last there, it was it was very much somewhere that it felt like it had you know fallen in a crack in history. You make the point that. The- the churches are particularly sombre at the corners of the village. And that takes mm. us to another sort of church in Bulgaria. Tell us about a church to communist glory. Mm. So I'd say this is this is one of the sort of holy grails of, of abandoned places, certainly for, for urbexes as well. Uh, this place called the Buzhlutze, um Monument. And it really does have to be seen to be believed it's this sort of structure that looks a bit like a flying saucer 
that sits at the top of a 1,400 meter high mountain at the centre of of Bulgaria. The mountain has sort of had a uh, an important place in Bulgarian history in, in battles against the Ottoman rulers. It was a, a meeting place for for the, some of the first Marxists in the country. When Bulgaria was under under communist rule, it was decided to build this place as a sort of a temple to the country. And uh, an architect by the name of uh, Georgi uh, Stoilov, I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, he, he won a competition to build this futurist sculpture for, for the future of, of a nation. And he took his inspiration from Roman temples. He took it from 1950s sci-fi uh, comics as well. And uh, essentially, this this flying saucer was built in the 1980s uh, as a venue for, for Communist Party events and, and, and award ceremonies. But of course, within 10 years, communism had ended. Uh, the Bourgeoisie Monument today is, is is abandoned. The ceilings come in. Um, there's no glass in the windows. Um, this extraordinary monument is is obviously a relic of a of 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 a, of a bygone ideology or an ideology that, that that's no longer of use. But it's it's also very remote and and like a lot of these places, no one quite knows what to do with it. It's just in a in a state of permanent decay. I remember seeing film footage of it. It is absolutely improbable isn't it it would be odd anywhere i mean i remember going there uh on a on an extraordinary day when it was the the rain was coming down mist was sort of ghosting in off the mountains and almost as if it was sort of stage scenery and this this cloud shifted to one side to reveal what looked like an alien spaceship that landed on top of a mountain Uh, and we managed to sneak inside went into the auditorium there were all these wonderful mosaics of Marx and other communist leaders um, that were fraying and, and clouds were, were blowing through the windows. I can see how it would have been kind of quasi-religious sculpture for people that, 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 that envisaged it. This is LNL on RN. It's coming to you from the ancient ruins of the National Broadcaster. And I'm talking to Oliver Smith about his wonderful atlas of abandoned places tell me now about fordlandia this is a a capitalist monument and henry ford has much to answer for yeah uh, fordlandia it's somewhere i haven't been to but i i read around it and and spoke to a number of people that had been there It, it it's almost a sort of parable um, this place, Fordlandia, uh, was um, as you said, uh, a uh, the project, the pet project of Henry Ford, um, and and by the nineteen twenties, he was he was a very powerful man. Many many motor cars become very very rich, um, but but a problem for him was rubber for for tires, and he had to buy them off British off British companies at the time, which were coming from Sri Lanka, and he decided he wanted to cut out the middleman and grow his own rubber to make tires so he he decided to build a plant in the amazon jungle and it was in some senses a sort of a business decision but but it was also slightly messianic Uh, he, he said we're going to south america not to make money, but to help develop that wonderful and fertile land. And We're talking about a bloke who was, of course, a, a notorious anti-Semite. Of course, of course. He was a, a very, brute. A, a, very, a, a, a very flawed character. Um, and he, he, he essentially, I mean, I think possibly saw it, I'm going to use inverted commas, saw it as a civilising mission. 
Um, and, and of course, it, it, it all went extremely wrong. He decided to build a sort of a, an American town uh, high in the in the Amazon basin, only accessible by boat. And and the local Brazilian workforce had a great many conflicts with their American managers. They were sick of eating hamburgers. They didn't want to work from nine till five in the midday heat rather than right, working at, at sunrise and sunset. And there was a riot. The army had to be brought in. In the end, Ford Landy was sold back to the Brazilian government at a loss in 1945. And it's a sort of, you know, it's a wrecked cautionary tale of Ford's, you know, utopian dreams, utopian in, in, in inverted commas, of course. And you quite correctly see it as a rare victory of the Amazon over capitalism. Let us hope there are more of those victories in the future. Now, mm. I, I can't wait for the time when Disney, Disneyland becomes a ghost town, but uh, <laughs> tell me about Bodhi in California. Well, this one, I I would say, is probably the first abandoned place that I I ever went to. Uh, when I was a kid on holiday, and it's it's in many ways your sort of archetypal Wild West town, and of course it, it it's a consequence of of the Gold Rush era. This sort of little um, town of timber houses, inns, churches, shops sort of popped up very quickly in the 19th century in, in the sort of heyday of the Wild West and the Gold Rush. Uh, and then obviously the, the gold dwindled, as, as many resources do, and, and it was abandoned by, by the 1940s. By that point, it was in, in a pretty bad state. It, uh, it, was, it was kind of, there'd been a great many fires there. Um, but what's interesting about Bodie in particular is that it, it was designated a state historic park, uh, and it was decided it would be preserved in this sort of condition of arrested decay, meaning that its buildings would be sort of kept in this disheveled, uh, this dishevelled state, and it would essentially be a kind of time capsule of the old west that would cling on high in the mountains. So, something um, similar would, was done with parts of Detroit. You might remember, you know, mm. the, as the place became well, it was no longer viable for the car industry. Look, this is a, an extraordinary book. I'm glad you spared us the the ultimate ghost towns of places like Auschwitz but nothing else has been forgotten. My guest has been Oliver Smith, author of Atlas of Abandoned Places, A Journey Through the World's Forgotten Wonders, published by Hachette. Thoroughly recommended by this ancient ruin of a broadcaster. G'day, potties. If you like to learn from history's mistakes as much as we do here at Hadley Nell, or you want the whole backstory on the big issues in the news, check out Rear Vision on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>